someone once told me, if you want to be a, a DP, if you want to be a cinematographer, then be a cinematographer. Yeah. You can't like, no one's going to ever give you that opportunity because they think you could do it. They have to see that you've done it a million times. From Chispa House, this is Creative First, the show about the spark of creative leaders and how they discovered their passions, what inspires their work ethic, and the journey of getting paid to do what they love the most. I'm your host, Kelsey Cochran, and this week our guest is Duncan Sullivan, who is a director and cinematographer based out of New York City. He's been in the creative industry for a while and has made some really incredible short films, and we really dive into one of his most awarded films, Brother of Climbing, in this episode, which I'm excited for you guys to hear a little bit more about. Duncan has a really genuine perspective on the entertainment industry and was really honest with me on what it's like being a filmmaker in today's like era of creating. And I hope you all get as much enjoyment out of hearing his story as I did chatting with him. So let's get into it. Hello everyone. Happy Tuesday. Uh, we are very excited to talk to you today. I have an awesome guest. His name is Duncan Sullivan, and he is a New York City-based director and cinematographer. Um, he has a lot of great insight to share, so thank you for joining me today. No problem. Thanks to be here. So let's jump in right to your background first and kind of build the scene for what got you to where you are today. So can you share a little bit about how you got into filmmaking and cinematography? Yeah, absolutely. Big question. I mean, I think everybody sort of has the same, I think, inkling. I, I was really into photography as a young kid. I, I, I took, my grandfather took me to Alaska when I was 13 and I got to sort of see Glacier National Park up there. And we were on in incredible areas seeing, you know, all sorts of wildlife. And I was like, wow, this is fucking amazing. And, you know, I met, there was a National Geographic photographer that was like, in the group of people, we were on a cruise. And so, and I was, you know, young and impressionable and was like, this is an incredible job, I would really love to do this. And so from that point on, I sort of like made it my mission, so to speak, to, to try to figure out how to do that. So yeah, I mean, fast forward to, you know, I studied photography in high school a little bit, right? And then I, I went to college for photography and I studied photography and journalism. And those two things were really influential in the way that I, I wanted to, to be able to talk about issues. And, you know, I was really into politics. I was really into social issues, socioeconomic conversations around race and class um, and, and that sort of thing. So in school, when I was in college, I really like took a lot of my political understandings and applied that to my photography. So I started mm -hmm. doing a little bit of projects, you know, around that, that um, subject matter. And then from there went on to start a magazine and, and then I started working for some newspapers. So, you know, then I moved to New York City, right? And I was yeah. like, well, if I want to move, if I want to work in film, I've got to figure out, you know, the place to do that. And there's one of two options, really, I mean, in my opinion. And I think, you know, it's hard because I think like in the outdoor world, you know, now there's a lot of folks that are living elsewhere, right? Like people that are based in Montana or Colorado. Mm -hmm. I'm actually in Colorado right now. I think it's doable to get into the industry, not in those first tier cities, but I mean, I have to be thankful for the experiences that I had in New York um, because it just, it shapes you as a, as a real filmmaker. So I, I moved there almost 10 years ago and 
so I, you know, I basically like, I don't know when I first got there, I was like, how do, how the fuck do I break in? So when I was in New York, I was kind of like scrambling to try to figure out like, you know, I'm, I'm young kid. I'll do whatever it is that I can. And I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't come from money. So I sort of had to figure out how to like do odd jobs and pay my rent and also sort of like get on set. And so mm. I, I kind of lucked out where I, I had this internship with a production company that I landed. It was like a commercial production company. And simultaneously I had like a part part-time job working for uh, a photographer. I, I like managed to get an assisting gig that was like pretty lucrative for New York. I wasn't making a ton of money, but like able to like know that I could make my rent. So I was like working there two days a week. Then I was interning at the production company um, for the rest of those days. And, you know, I, I basically like buddied up to a bunch of producers and smiled and, and tried <laughs> to get on a good side. From there, you know, people just give you opportunities. I think that's the thing, right? It's like, when you show someone that you're like so dedicated and so hungry and will and will literally like sweep the floor after the production is done on a 12 or 14 hour day, people definitely are, are willing to give you opportunities. Um, obviously there's, there's, it's hard to like get access to those people. And I think that there's like a big divide for the types of people that are inherently allowed access to that versus, you know, the folks that, that, um, have to work to, to do it. But yeah. I would say, you know, especially to young filmmakers out there that like want to break in, you know, the, the way that I know how to do it and the easiest way is to just find someone that has a lot of experience or, you know, live, live in a market where there is a lot going on and, and buddy up to folks. And, you know, they gave me opportunities to be a production assistant. So that basically means that you're running around like from shoot to shoot, you're, you're, you're booked on a 12 hour day or 14 hour day and you are unpacking boxes or I was such a bad production PA. Like I drove a bunch of trucks, thought that I was like hot shit and then ended up like <laughs> crashing one of the trucks or almost crashing one of the trucks with like a bunch of camera gear in the back. But you know, you do, you do what you can, right? You just try to like prove to people that you're there for the long haul and that you want to, you really want to work in the industry. At a certain point I was like, well, I can shoot and like, I need to show people that I can shoot. And so I think the big thing that like really made a difference in my career was like taking my own time to do my own personal projects. So I like contacted a couple like a coffee shop and I contacted a couple other like artisan companies in New York City and was like, hey, I'm a young filmmaker. I like, you know, I'll do free work for you. Like I'd like to make a brand video. And so I made this video for like a coffee shop that I thought like did really well. I shot it and I had a buddy of mine edit it and it came out really well. And I saw, I started showing that around to some producers that I worked with. They were, you know, a lot of people were impressed by it. They were like, wow, this is great. We didn't really know, you know, what you could do. And so this is awesome. And so from there, I mean, that was this, that was the thing, right? I kept paying, but I was like, listen, if you have anything like small budget stuff, like tiny budget stuff, I could shoot it. You know, I'd love to shoot it just for my reel. You know, that's the thing for young cinematographers, I would say like, just shoot, right? Like someone once told me, if you want to be a, a DP, if you want to be a cinematographer, then be a cinematographer. Yeah. You can't like, no one's going to ever give you that opportunity because they think you could do it. They have to see that you've done it a million times. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to give you that opportunity. So, I mean, your story, I feel like has been such a, like a work, like you started as a PA and like you were in this big industry and then you were like, wait, I need to do more than just PA work. Like I need to actually sh show myself that I can be a cinematographer before anyone else is going to believe me. And right. you're, I mean, you're doing that now. You also are a director though. So I'm yeah. a little bit curious, like, do you have a preference of one or over the other when you're on set? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, 
I think um, I do. I, there was a there was a big turning point in my career where like I'd get a lot of these like small budget things, tabletop, right? Like somebody yeah. would be like, we've got to shoot some stuff, like some food or whatever. Anyway, it was really easy, simple stuff on a tripod with a little light. And I, I remember shooting it and thinking like, oh, this is great. This is great. But at a certain point, you, you either get like tired of the jobs that people are calling you for or as a cinematographer, and this is kind of like the hard truth about being a DP, but you're kind of like sitting around waiting yeah. <laughs> for someone to call you. And it can be incredibly frustrating for someone that like is a creative mm-hmm. and wants to make stuff and like actually... I use that word like in the true sense of it to create something. I think there's definitely a difference between someone that's like, I have to tell this story about this specific person or this thing. And someone that's like, I love making beautiful imagery. And like, I want to work with like really talented story producers or directors or whatever to make that vision come to life. And I think that's kind of like the big difference between those two roles. And so for me, like I got to a point where I was like, I, there's a million stories that I really want to tell. And I'm so sick of waiting for someone to like call me to do that you know what I mean that's so funny that you just said the main two differences because literally my next question was what are the main two differences between those types of people like responsibility wise while working on a project so would you consider then if I'm understanding you right like the director is the storyteller and the cinematographer is the one that makes it come to life or is it like vice versa yeah no and I think it's a fair question and I, I mean I would not be I would be lying to say that I could like I could tell you the difference. There's never an easy answer for that. And I think like you, as, as folks wade into the world, they start to understand that like a lot of this stuff is like, you can't put it in a box. Mm-hmm. There are some directors that are incredibly visual and like can essentially do everything themselves. I mean, and I have to give DPs credit here. They're like the joke in the industry is that like directors don't know how to do anything. <laughs> that, like, the, the, the DP truly. And I mean, this is like probably more true than not that like, directing is bullshit and DPs are like the, mo- the ones that are the most talented because essentially you've got someone, you know, in a, in a classic example, you've got someone as a, that's a director that doesn't know how to use a camera that generally that doesn't understand lighting very well, that doesn't maybe understand how the lens the lens choices and how that would affect, you know, how that is portrayed on camera. And so you've got this DP that like understands all this technical technical knowledge is in cre- creating this world with light and and the lens choice and camera movement. And then they're sort of like essentially helping the director create this this thing. From a traditional standpoint, I guess to answer your question, like yes, the director is the one that is sort of like finding the story and having it come to life. They're the quarterback. Like for example, there's films that I work on, like I'll find a specific subject and I'll get really obsessed over that subject. And I'm like, you know, this is an interesting story. This person is someone that I really want to highlight and I want to talk about a larger theme, whether it be societal or, or, you know, biographical with this person or thing. And I start from the ground running, like I want to tell it and this is how I want to tell it. This is how I want to shoot it. This is, you know, how I want it to come together in the edit. And this is the overall message that I want. And then, you know, when I work with DPs, they'll have a DP come in and they'll say, you know, what if we shot it like this? They're a collaborator. Film, at the end of the day, film is, col- is a collaboration and no one person, unless you're doing a film by yourself, no one person does everything. We could talk about the difference between the people on set all day, I feel like, because yeah. there's so many different components. Like you said, it is so collaborative. So many different people make the dream come to life. However, I want to talk about your documentary work versus your commercial work, because I think that there's this kind of uprising of people who are doing a little bit of both. 
yeah. uh, but which is not as common as maybe some people thought. Like, I feel like a long time ago, you either were a documentarian, you were a filmmaker, or you were in the ad agencies, you were doing commercials. Like there was not as much of a crossover. Yeah. Um, but now I feel like it's growing in that direction. What attracts you to both sides? Like, what do you find attractive about documentary style cinematography? And what do you find attractive about commercial work? So, yeah, I mean, in a short answer, I need a bunch of money to live. <laughs> and uh, I can't do that selling documentary films as easily. No, I mean, you know, I think, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. I have like a love-hate relationship with this world in general. And I think probably a lot of artists and filmmakers do. But yeah, I mean, you know, we live in like the golden age of, of like doc, right? Like everybody is funding documentaries. Like it's, you know, like no, there's no tomorrow. It's crazy. Like Netflix is funding stuff. HBO is funding stuff. Hulu is funding stuff. Quibi. I mean, there's no shortage of platforms. So from, from the large end of, you know, like the traditional, if you want to call it traditional documentary and from the shorter end, sorry, from like the more commercial end, there's like this whole avenue that I think filmmakers had never had an opportunity to dip their toe into, which is like branded content, right? Which is kind of like this, this hybrid world of like, it has the budget that's pretty similar to like commercials. So you're A, like capable of getting paid and B, you know, brands to their credit have been pretty lenient, like with the way that they oversee stories come together. And I think you're seeing a lot of opportunity for brands to like, A, find filmmakers that like have a unique story to tell and, and then B, use that filmmaker to like leverage their talent and create something that would, you know, potentially cost them a lot more if they were going to like use some Hollywood director, right? It, like, on the one hand, it's like commercial work and branded content has like leveled the playing field a little bit where a lot of people, like more people have access to money to be able to tell stories. But I also think it cheapens it you know, yeah. at the end of the day, right? And like, we're never going to live in a society where like the government is just funding documentary filmmakers <laughs> because they like documentaries. But I think, you know, it's it's kind of like this for our generation or this young upcoming generation, there's this like, it's like changing of the guard where you have these opportunities to work with brands and really like, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that, right? Like I made a film called Brothers of Climbing that did really well. And I made that film and then REI was like, we want to buy it. Okay, no. wait. So I was going to bring this up. So I want to talk about this. First of all, love it. People out there haven't seen it. They should look it up. It's about a climbing organization in New York and Brooklyn area. It dives into their community that they built, um, you know, the journeys they take together, their expansion as an organization. And like you said, it, you know, REI was backed it in the end. It also was like a Vimeo staff pick and it was selected to film at the Mountain Film Festival, which was awesome. Congrats on that. You were nominated for a Webby Award for it. Yeah. So I'll let you keep talking about it. Where did this idea come from though? And like, how? Yeah. so how did REI find it and be like, hey, can we buy this? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I went to like a pretty like politically radical uh, institution for college and I dove into pretty radical politics there and still am involved in, in, in that in, in a certain way. And I, I think, you know, I got really interested in trying to talk about race and, and class in the outdoors, in the outdoors and outdoor sports in general. And I think that, you know, as, as white folks, like we are, you know, it's not easy for us to talk about white privilege and it's not easy for us to talk about blackness and like how that manifests in the spaces that are culturally and historically have been dominated by people that look like us. Mm -hmm. And so I felt 
at the time, and I, I, I say this now with like, I've kind of, we can talk about this in a little bit, but I've changed my tune a little bit on this. But at the time I was eager to tell this story because I felt A, that I was pretty equipped to tell it mm-hmm. and B, that it was important for, for white people to, to talk about it. And I felt like hey, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, to do that. Also, I was climbing in Brooklyn and I like befriended this organization and we would climb together and uh, a good friend of mine was climbing with them at the time who I went to college with. So that's sort of how I got introduced to them. Okay. Um, and then I, I basically was like, this is really an important story to tell. You know, at, at the end of the day, I had been involved in the climbing world for a long time. I grew up climbing in New Hampshire and was just like, this board is so white, you know, like, and people need to talk about that. So yeah, I, I basically said to Mikhail, who is... Uh, one of the main guys in the film, I was like, hey, you know, this is a great story. Like, would you guys be willing to like have me tell, you know, make a film about you? And uh, they were, yeah, they were super open to it. I don't think anybody, including me, knew how well it was going to do. But yeah, I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee with them and I shot like, I shot like a sizzle. And I think, you know, as an aside, this is probably important for young folks to know, which is that like brands are never going to pay for anything on the basis of like writing a deck and give you money for like a treatment like these days. And it sucks. And if there's brand people out there, like this should fucking change (laughs) total bullshit. But at the same time, because, because it only allows people that have, you know, extra income or aren't living paycheck to paycheck to actually create this stuff, which, which creates, you know, a bottleneck in the industry uh, and sidelines a lot of really talented people that, that, you know, could, could do this stuff. Anyway, that's my rant. I, uh, so I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I, I shot a little sizzle and I, I did a bunch of interviews with Mikhail because I was climbing at that gym and I made, you know, I, I cut together like a two minute trailer essentially, and I made a deck. And the original intention was to go to, um, Brooklyn Boulders, which is the climbing gym, and just say, hey, do you guys have like a couple thousand dollars to like finish this film, considering these guys were climbing at Brooklyn Boulders. And they were like, yeah, you know, we could do that, but like, we don't really have more than like two or $3,000. And I was like, oh, like, you know, it'd be great to have a little bit more than that. So I was like, okay, well, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, these guys have relationships, like gyms have relationships with brands because they do all sorts of like sponsored events. So I was like, hey, we should just reach out to a couple different like brands that you have, one of which was Adidas. The, the other one was uh, the North Face. So I, I worked closely with the marketing director there. And she basically said, I love this film. Like, let's, let's see if we can get some extra money from these brands. So mm-hmm. we contacted Adidas, uh, didn't hear anything. We contacted the North Face and they were like, you know, kind of hesitant and like, again, didn't have much money. And then out of the blue, like she had sent it to someone at REI as well. And the, like, basically the director of their film program like, called me the next day and was like, we love this. We, this is like perfect timing for a film series we're about to launch. What do you need? And, and yeah, I was like, I, we need a bunch of money. And like, <laughs> great. And they were like, full disclosure, like they didn't give us much money at all. I mean, to be, to be frank with people and open, um, you know, they gave us $12,000, which was, I mean, if anyone understands how to make films, like $12,000 doesn't get you anywhere. But, you know, for a bunch of young 20-somethings, we were really interested in trying to, to make that work. We, we did it. I mean, we, we basically reshot a bunch of stuff. I hired a friend of mine who is a DP. We rented some camera gear, we rented some lights, and we did essentially like, I think it was like four extra days. And then of course, that $12,000 also included the edit. From there, it it went out, they put it out on their Facebook channels and YouTube and Vimeo and it, yeah, that's, that's the story. Okay, so this leads me to ask, what advice would you give yourself before starting this project, knowing what you know now? 
Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I, I mean, I think I, I, I have to like, honestly give myself this advice now too, which is like, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, mm -hmm. I think like a, a lot of the time I see a lot of young kids, a lot of young men and women out there that are like, that are talented and that, that really want to do it and like to make it and to, to like, they, they have an idea and they think it's fantastic. And it, and it might be, but I think like a lot of times people get a little bit too ambitious. Like I remember doing this film, I was like, oh, we need more than $12,000, you know, like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I was, I don't know, 26 or 27 or something. And I was like, oh my God, I need more, more money than that, you know? And it's like, no, you don't need more money than that. What you need is to be able to, to figure out how to do it and, and to collaborate with people that really believe in the vision. And that's a huge piece of advice that I would give to a lot of folks out there is that like, I had some, some arguments and some contentions with some other folks that were on that film. And I think it was all because we had really big egos. We were all like, <laughs> trying to be like, no, like we know we're like the undiscovered savant of filmmaking. And like, you're not, you know, like <laughs> I'm not, everybody's not, you know, everybody's learning. And the older I get and the more that I work with professionals, the more that I realize that like, it's all a crock of shit. It's just <laughs> both. Everyone is making shit up. Like, you know, there are really talented 22 year olds that are potentially more talented than the 35 or 40 year olds that you work with as well, who have been mm -hmm. veterans in the industry. You know, it's like at the, at the end of the day, like, you know, there's a lot to learn, but I just, I, I just feel like young kids, like don't get a big ego, understand that like talent isn't everything and, mm -hmm. and try really hard to make your own stuff and make it really good. And, and like, if no one's going to give you the money for it, like, that's okay. Yeah. You know? Like we, if you can afford to do it on your own and if you can afford to collaborate with people, like, that's the thing. It's like, there's, I just, I feel like everybody's in these like siloed worlds where they're like, I want to be this and I want to be that. And they like, can't work with other people. I'm like, there's so many of you. There's so <laughs> many of us that like want to be this thing. Like just find some people that are like down to do it for like a couple hundred dollars or do it for free or like want to work on something fun. I mean, we are like so unbelievably gifted to be able to work in this industry. Like it's in, it's just insane to me that I've spent the last 10 years of my life flying around the country and the world, like shooting shit and get, getting paid. Yeah. And working with so many different types of people and what other industry allows you to work with that many different people on a consistent basis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So your commercial work, I want to dive into this a little bit. Yeah. And I know it's not maybe your favorite in comparison to some of your documentary work, oh, but your client list is pretty diverse so like you don't lean too heavy in any certain area like for example you've worked with american express which is a financial service and then you've worked with the mccallan which is like a whiskey brand and then intel which is data center solutions and yeah. insurance companies and gillette which is shaving like that's such a wide array of clients yeah but what creative skills do you think it takes to create such a diverse portfolio like that yeah it's a good question well i mean just because it brand is like a financial service or like a razor company it doesn't mean that that's going to define necessarily the story that they're trying to tell but i agree with you like generally it is pretty broad brands these days like you know are like trying to figure themselves out i've got a lot of love for for brands because <laughs> they pay my bills but i also yeah. have a lot of frustration with them sometimes because i think oftentimes this is all a game right and everybody is just trying to like play it safe they're trying to do something different but then they're also like too scared to do anything actually that different you know my niche is like trying to like try to tell stories about 
people and conditions that they live in and the environment that they have been raised in and, and sort of like, I don't know, uncover some truth about and some vulnerability about, about like our society and like mm-hmm. what, we're, what we're doing. It's like with Brothers of Climbing, I was looking at the fact that rock climbing is like predominantly white. That's fucking totally ridiculous. With American Express, we were looking at like, you know, there was a woman um, who ran an auto body shop and it was called, the piece is called Woman Auto Know one of my favorite pieces but it is about how she like does these training courses for women in New York City who don't know anything about vehicles and it's such a masculine industry and like there's so much toxic masculinity that permeates that world from my experience or at least as I understand it women go into that situation feeling really uncomfortable and like that's fucked up and so like what I tried to do with American Express was like, you know, they gave me the opportunity to tell stories about small businesses. And what I wanted to do mm-hmm. was tell stories that like were reflective of the world that we find ourselves in. And so, yeah, that's like the approach that I take with my work. So I guess if you distill that, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to work with brands and I'm trying to make films about like our environment, where we find ourselves as Americans and human beings in America and our society and, and trying to like uncover some vulnerability there too, right? And I, so I think the skill sets that I would, that I would try to suggest folks to utilize is like really know what it is you're talking about and there's a story that you're trying to tell like why the fuck should anyone care about it because there's so much content out there and unless you believe that it's important no one's gonna believe that it's important what i'm taking from this though is that the brands that you've worked with it's almost like they come to you with a similar goal i don't know if this is necessarily like pin on the head exactly what they're trying to do but it's almost like a hey, look at us, we're actually trying to do something good in the world. What I've come to understand is that like the, the 90s and the two, early 2000s was like this world of brands like telling fairy tales. And like now they're like really yeah. into authenticity and like characters and stories that are real and gritty and like tell a little slice of life. And I, I think that's fantastic. And so, yeah, I mean, I would say like have a good eye for that sort of thing. Like think through your stories really well. And also like, tell them well and captivate an audience. I mean, there's a lot of young folks out there that are like, I love this story, I think it's great. And I'm like, yeah, it's like a good story, but you have to learn how to like really bring an audience in. Again, it goes back to like, why do you care? And I ask myself this all the time. There's stuff that I work on that I'm like, I think this is fucking cool. And everybody I talk about it with is like, meh. Like I have a film that's about like a bolter. I don't know if if you know anything about sport climbing, but like there are people that like actually spend their life bolting roots. Me and my friend worked on this like three years ago, four years ago. We've been working on it for like years, right? We Mm -hmm. shot it, we put our own money into it. It was in Spain. We like went internationally to do this came back, put our more of our own money into editing it and um, called in favors left and right. And like, no one got paid. I think it's a fucking awesome film. And like, I've had really mixed reviews. Like some people, you know, are like, I don't know. It's like kind of weird. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it's great. You know, and, yeah. and at the end of the day, it's like, you got to follow your heart. And if it, yeah. if it works, it works. And if it doesn't move on to the next yeah. one. Okay. Last thing. Cause I know we're like a little bit over time. So, okay. This is more of a generic question just kind of like an end out question i just want you know your most honest opinion what has inspired you throughout your career what has inspired you to keep going when there was a lot of obstacles that you had to overcome and you were like oh this sucks like maybe i should just quit maybe i should find a different career path maybe this wasn't meant for me what has kept you going and kept you inspired it's kind of funny because i feel like i'm at a crossroads now where like i don't i don't know i'm like the the thing that kept me going is not really going anymore when i was younger there was definitely like a mantra in my head that was like for those of us that care about making the world a better place right and i I think that that's such a tired tired saying but 
I do believe in it to a certain extent. I mean, I think there's, there, for those of us that like care about what we're doing on this planet and like how we're moving forward, I think storytelling is a really powerful medium to a certain extent. Good stories can shape the national conversation in a direction, either good or bad. And so the more storytellers we have that are interested in trying to tell stories that like contribute to this larger like societal conversation, the, the more that we can move towards a better reality. I think, I think everybody suffers from this, like, what are we doing? And you kind of get lost in it. And you're like, does this even fucking matter? The positive side of me has to say, it does matter. And it, and as I said before, like, if we can figure out how to contribute one little droplet here and there and there and there, it becomes sort of a wave that, that shapes a, a better direction for where we're going. Yeah, so. no, that's awesome. And I agree with you. I do think, I mean, without multiple people kind of contributing their crumb, it may not see the progress that it has now. One thing I just wanted to throw out there that you reminded me was, I just, I want to say this for the record, because I think it's, I think it's important for people to hear, okay. which is that like, when I was younger and engaging with films around racial justice, you know, I, I felt like I had, you know, the, I had the, the ability to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, like I have grown up a little bit and have come to realize that, and I, I, I guess I would want to say this to young filmmakers, if you're interested in trying to tell stories about um, the black experience or people of color in general, like if you're white, please consider working with or giving that idea to someone who is of color to be able to tell that accurately. Because I think I was not aware of how much like being a white person had bias, right? And I think it's important for us as filmmakers who have, you know, who, who work in film professionally to uplift those of us in our communities that may not have had the same experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to have a bunch of connections that I made in New York from people that looked like me. And I think the reality mm -hmm. is like, until we take it upon ourselves to say, hey, you know what, this is not the right story for me to tell. I can support it. You know, I can support people. I can try to find people. Until we do that, we're going to have a lack of diversity in the people that are behind the camera and that are directing. And that's, I really think that that's a detriment to our industry. I think we need to do a better job of, of uplifting folks. And if that means you've sacrificed work, so be you're it. sacrifice some work, you know, yeah. like the reality is we've got to, like, we've got to tell better be better at allowing people to tell their own story or people of those communities to tell that story. The fact that you have come to realize that is a testament to the fact that the industry is changing and it's hard to know in advance how it's going to change and what instances are going to arise that are going to lead to that change. So that was a really good tidbit to throw in there and I'm glad that you did. This has been a really awesome interview and I think I'm going to have to have you come on again sometime as like a recurring guest because I know that there's so much more for yeah. us to talk about and I... I feel like we've just scratched the surface. So thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. And no problem. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Of course. Bye guys. Take care guys.